0: This episode brought to you by Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do, people know where things are, and you stay on top of everything all the time. So visit Basecamp.com. Okay, okay, everybody, saddle down now. I'd like to welcome everybody back to the bi-monthly Innsmouth Poetry Slam. Uh, I see some new faces here. I see some familiar faces. But I think it's safe to say we all look a little bit similar. Am I right? Okay. All right. Well, we're here to have a good time. Uh, right off the bat, let's welcome up our, our, our first poet. All right. Let's get a big Innsmouth welcome to a local favorite uh, poet, Ewart Osborne, everybody.
1: Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, great to be back here. I would like to uh, share with you all uh, one of my uh, latest haikus. This is entitled, What I See on the Pier, yeah. What I see on the pier is lots of fishes in the water. What I smell is lots of fish in the air, yeah. What I step around are barrels in the streets, yeah. Thank you. That has been my haiku. What I see on the pier.
0: Okay. All right. Th- thanks. Thank you, Ewart. Uh. Uh. It. It. It felt long for a haiku, but you know, we, like we always say here in Ensmith, don't judge me, ever. Yeah. You know. Good job. Thanks, Ewart. Yeah. All right. Up next. Uh. He's. He's new. He's new in our poetry scene, but we've seen him once before. Really excited to see that he caught the bug, and uh, he'll be coming back again. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big Innsmouth welcome to Donnie (laughs) Traybar. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I'm Donnie. Uh, Thanks for having me back. All right. This next thing, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot of Kerouac lately, at least the the pages that are still in the the rotten book I found at the half-empty library. So why don't you uh, join me now as we go on a trip uh, together. This uh, this next poem is called Outsider, all right? Tourist in my town, why'd you even take that bus? Busted. I know why you're here, looking around, trying to get an Innsmouth look, see, See you later, pal. You're no friend of mine. I will chase you down to the pier and peer into your soul. There is a hole there deeper than the trench what gave birth to our new understanding that you will not ever understand. Tourist, get back on your bus. Busted ass out of town. Because there is no home for you here in our community. Mr. T would hate you too. Thank you. That's it. All right. All right. Thank you, Donnie. Thank you for coming out. That was, that was lovely. That was, It was something we'd never experienced before. We're all really happy to have you here. Up next, uh, looking over my sheet here. Uh, we got uh alja Calhoun uh alja Calhoun I think that's gonna ring a few bells uh he's been out to sea for a while it's nice to have a uh, local boy makes good he's back with us boy does he have uh some changes to share with you, Thank you. <laughs> I have
1: the poor rich Entitled The Unseen Deep What horrors lie At the bottom of the bay We shall not know Until they follow us Home Deep, maddening blue is all that you will know when the night comes to carry you low. Thank you.
0: Oh, boy. All right. Alja Calhoun, everybody. Can we get can we get a towel up here, please? Can we get a towel? Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm looking over there. Oh, all right. You know what? You, you luck, you're in luck tonight. We don't have a full we don't have a full ticket. So uh, let's uh, let's everyone welcome Eward Osborne back onto the stage. He's got another uh, another maybe haiku or, or maybe something else. It's hard
1: to to know. Uh, You were at Osborne, everybody. Uh, Oh, thank you. Uh, This one is actually a sonnet here. It's entitled Barrel of Fishes. Look at that fish barrel there. So full of shiny fish it is. Boy, that stinks here. Who's going to eat your fishes? Probably me here. Thank you, everyone.
0: Uh, all right. Uh, you, once again, a creative interpretation of uh, already understood, at least as far as I thought. Uh, it
1: was a sonnet.
0: Yes, yeah. Thank you, Ewitt, for, uh, for that sonnet. Uh, all right, everybody. That brings us uh, up to the end of our first section of poetry. So let's all uh, take a quick break. Let's go get something to eat. Let's rehydrate. I know I'm parched. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and we'll get right back to it. Everybody. Hello! Hi, every peoples. Hi,
1: every peoples. <laughs>
0: All across the land.
1: Uh, hello Flora. to
0: every people.
1: I'm David Flora.
0: I am David Stecker.
1: Welcome to Blurry Photos. Yes, indeed.
0: Welcome to this very technologically elaborate and nation-spanning episode.
1: That's right. You may notice, if you're a regular listener, uh, audio quality is... A little bit uh, different this time. It's different.
0: Anyone who says it's worse can suck it.
1: I, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, fix it as best I can after we record this. But right now, Dave and I are not in the
0: same room. Nope, we got in a fight. I refuse to look at him. <laughs> but I'm mature, I'll, I'll still, so I'll we're still, still going to do the show. <laughs> he knows what he did. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to take a trip home, uh, a, a little bit unexpectedly. But um, we are making do. We're yep. we're getting things done, and um, we got a, a nice, fun little. This is like an appetizer.
0: Mall. This is like uh, this is like uh, audio nachos. This is <laughs> I don't know what's French for that.
1: Yeah, uh, so, something a little different for you. This is, and uh, I think I'm filing it under a bonus.
0: So yeah, sometimes things happen, but what's important is that we are dedicated to, uh, to continuously delivering this box of acoustic donuts to you every week.
1: Delicious. And, yeah, and it gets it gets pretty stale, but uh, they're donuts.
0: And yeah, and I know your, your your greatest wish may have been maybe we just don't do anything. Well, sorry, wishes don't come true, but we do come true. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, I I put this out on Facebook and Twitter, took a poll, see uh, uh some of the things that we can do that doesn't require intensive research, so something that we, you know, spend a lot of time on. And I I didn't have a lot of time, so I told Dave, let's still do something uh, and let's let's put it to the people. Let's see what the the people pick.
0: Yeah, and, and other the,
1: uh p-words.
0: Yeah, don't don't you worry. I was all like f these these jokers. They don't know what we've seen. And, and Flora was all, no, man, respect them. And I was like, I guess that's what you're <laughs> into. So so you but, can thank Flora for this.
1: Uh, I appreciate everybody who uh, took the time to vote uh, on there and, and pick what we're going to do, which this week just happens to be reading some H.P. Lovecraft.
0: Yes, and uh, for those of you who voted for other things, um, we're still probably going to do most of those other things, uh, just, just oh, not, yeah. not right now. So yeah, it was not like a this or that. There would definitely be an and, uh, particularly to the many people who very acutely pointed out, we really probably should do another mail. Back. You're right.
1: <laughs> At least yeah, the the people who said it was prudent to catch up on mail. Uh, but we appreciate everybody's input and and hopefully uh we we do some justice to some of this uh fine literature if yeah. you're not a lovecraft fan still stick around you know we'll we'll try to put a little of our flavor into it
0: oh no 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 we are going to do the driest most <laughs> bland we we're, it'll be a blandishment <laughs> blandishment if you're french oh. see I told you I, I, I could speak French.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I am literally planning on doing, and the gaping maw stared back at me, and the creeping darkness of unmeasured spaces looked deep into my soul. Into- <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that at all. We've, we've picked out a few stories here. Short stories. Still longer, probably, than our ghost stories that we usually read, but um, I think there'll be uh, fun little nuggets for you to yeah. listen to and pass the time with.
0: I agree. Of course, I'd better agree. It's a dick move if I don't, right? Don't be a dick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start out with a classic one from old HPL. Yep. I'm going to read to you Dagon.
0: Dagon, Dagon, (laughs) Dagon, (laughs) Dagon, All right, Flora, hit him.
1: Dagon by H.P. Lovecraft.
0: Hubert Fennelwhip Lovecraft.
1: Make sure there are two L's. (laughs) I'm writing this under an appreciable mental strain since by tonight I shall be no more penniless and at the end of my supply of the drug which alone makes life endurable I can bear the torture no longer and shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid street below do not think from my slavery to morphine that I am a weakling or a degenerate
0: I'm way better than that I'm not like those other addicts I'm just going to kill myself because I can't get high anymore, but I'm better than those other guys.
1: When you have read these hastily scrawled pages, you, you may guess, though never fully realize, why it is that I must have forgetfulness or death. It was in one of the most open and least frequented parts of the broad Pacific that the packet of which I was supercargo fell victim to the German Sea Raider. The Great War was then at its very beginning and the ocean forces of the Hun had not completely sunk to their later degradation, so that our vessel was made a legitimate prize, whilst we of her crew were treated with all the fairness and consideration due us as naval prisoners. So liberal indeed was the discipline of our captors that five days after we were taken, I managed to escape alone in a small boat with water and provisions for a good length of time. When I finally found myself adrift and free, I had but little idea of my surroundings. Never a competent navigator, I could only guess vaguely by the sun and stars that I was somewhat south of the equator. Of the longitude I knew nothing, and no island or coastline was in sight. The weather kept fair, and for uncounted days I drifted aimlessly beneath the scorching sun, waiting either for some passing ship, or to be cast on the shores of some habitable land. But neither ship nor land appeared, and I began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving vastness of unbroken blue. The change happened whilst I slept. Its details I shall never know, for my slumber, though troubled and dream-infested, was continuous. When at last I awaked, it was to discover myself half-sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire, which extended about me in monotonous undulations as far as I could see, and in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Though one might well imagine that my first sensation would be of wonder at so prodigious and unexpected a transformation of scenery... I was in reality more horrified than astonished, for there was in the air and in the rotting soil a sinister quality which chilled me to the very core. The region was putrid with the carcasses of decaying fish, and of other less describable things which I saw protruding from the nasty mud of the unending plain. Perhaps I should not hope to convey in mere words the unutterable hideousness that could dwell in absolute silence and barren immensity. There was nothing within hearing and nothing in sight save a vast reach of black slime. Yet the very completeness of the stillness and the homogeneity of the landscape oppressed me with a nauseating fear.
0: I'm done. I'm done. done. That's the last.
1: The sun was blazing down from a sky which seemed to me almost black in its cloudless cruelty, as though reflecting the inky marsh beneath my feet. As I crawled into the stranded boat, I realized that only one theory could explain my position.
0: Scientology!
1: (laughs) Through some unprecedented volcanic upheaval, a portion of the ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing regions for which innumerable millions of years had lain hidden under the unfathomable watery depths. So great was the extent of the new land which had risen beneath me that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean, strain my ears as I might, nor were there any sea-fowl to prey upon the dead things. For several hours I sat thinking or brooding in the boat, which lay upon its side and afforded a slight shade as the sun moved across the heavens. As the day progressed, the ground lost some of its stickiness and seemed likely to dry sufficiently for traveling purposes in a short time. That night I slept but little, and the next day I made for myself a pack containing food and water, preparatory to an overland journey in search of the vanished sea and possible rescue. On the third morning, I found the soil dry enough to walk upon with ease. The odor of the fish was maddening. But I was too much concerned with graver things in mind to slight an evil, and set out boldly for an unknown goal. All day I forged steadily westward, guided by a faraway hummock which rose higher than any other elevation on the rolling desert that night i encamped and on the following day still traveled toward the hummock though that object seemed scarcely nearer than when i had first espied it, I it uh. <laughs> I
0: did
1: by the fourth evening i attained the base of the mound which turned out to be much higher than it had appeared from a distance an intervening valley setting it out in a sharper relief from the general surface. Too weary to ascend, I slept in the shadow of the hill.
0: at least he had the good sense to upgrade it from hummock... To
1: mound? Well, and then to hill, hill.
0: you know.
1: I know not why my dreams were so wild that night, but ere the waning and fantastically gibbous moon had risen far above the eastern plain, I was awake in a cold perspiration, determined to sleep no more. Such visions as I had experienced were too much for me to endure again, and in the glow of the moon I saw how unwise I had been to travel by day. Without the glare of the parching sun, my journey would have cost me less energy. Indeed, I, I now felt quite able to perform the ascent which had deterred me at sunset. Picking up my pack, I started for the crest of the eminence.
0: Oh, now it's an eminence. <laughs> yes, your eminence. <laughs> it's a good thing he didn't lose his thesaurus in the shipwreck, eh, Poindexter?
1: I have said that the unbroken monotony of the rolling plain was a source of vague horror to me, but I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down the other side into an immeasurable pit or canyon whose black recesses the moon had not yet soared high enough to illumine. I felt myself on the edge of the world peering over the rim into a fathomless chaos of eternal night. Through my terror ran curious reminiscences of Paradise Lost and of Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realms of darkness. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see that the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Ledges and outcroppings of rock afforded fairly easy footholds for a descent, whilst after a drop of a few hundred feet, the declivity became very gradual. Urged on by an impulse which I cannot definitely analyze, I scrambled with difficulty down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath, gazing into the Stygian deeps where no light had yet penetrated.
0: Keeping in mind, this is the exact hole the man described not five seconds ago as Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned <laughs> realms of darkness. He was like, oh, I see a foothold. and Boing, we're
1: boing, boing. He right. All at once my attention was captured by a vast and singular object on the opposite slope, which rose steeply about a hundred yards ahead of me, an object that gleamed whitely in the newly bestowed rays of the ascending moon. That it was merely a gigantic piece of stone, I soon assured myself, but I was conscious of a distinct impression that its contour and position were not altogether the work of nature. A closer scrutiny filled me with sensations I cannot express, for despite its enormous magnitude and its position in an abyss which had yawned at the bottom of the sea since the world was young, I perceived beyond a doubt that this strange object was a well-shaped monolith whose massive bulk had known the workmanship, perhaps the worship, of living and thinking creatures. Dazed and frightened, yet not without a certain thrill of the scientist's or archaeologist's delight, I examined my surroundings more closely. Archaeologist Delight is like the worst dessert you could ever have.
0: (laughs) Also a pretty shitty rap song. The moon. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I've been thinking about it. And I think that Archaeologist Delight would be an awesome dessert. What if there was like a cookie hidden inside a larger pastry and they gave you a tiny little spoon and you had to slowly work your way through the pastry to get to the cookie part in the middle and the cookie was shaped like a dinosaur or an old No, urn. that's
1: great. It, the presentation is, is five stars, my friend. Five, uh, it's ten of ten, but it just, it, it's just chalky <laughs> tasting. Tastes like chalk. <laughs> the moon now near the zenith shone weirdly and vividly above the towering steeps that hemmed in the chasm and revealed the fact that a far-flung body of water flowed at the bottom, winding out of sight in both directions and almost lapping my feet as I stood on the slope. Across the chasm, the wavelets washed the base of the Cyclopean monolith, on whose surface I could now trace both inscriptions and crude sculptures.
0: By uh, crude sculptures, was it just like tiny little Calvins pissing on Ford symbols?
1: It's, It's stick figure families.
0: Oh, God.
1: The writing was in a system of hieroglyphics unknown to me, and unlike anything I had ever seen in books. Consisting for the most part of conventionalized aquatic symbols such as fishes, eels, Octopi, crustaceans, mollusks, whales, and the like. Several characters obviously represented marine things which are unknown to the modern world, but whose decomposing forms I had observed on the ocean-risen plain. It was the pictorial carving, however, that did most to hold me spellbound. Plainly visible across the intervening water on account of their enormous size were an array of bas-reliefs whose subjects would have excited the envy of Dore. I think that these things were supposed to depict men, at at least a certain sort of men, though the creatures were shown disporting like fishes in the waters of some marine grotto, or paying homage at some monolithic shrine which appeared to be under the waves as well. Of their faces and forms, I dare not speak in detail, for the mere remembrance makes me grow faint. (laughs) Grotesque, beyond the imagination of a poe or a bulwer, they were damnably human in general outline, despite webbed hands and feet, shockingly wide and flabby lips, glassy, bulging eyes, and other features less pleasant to recall.
0: <laughs> the word was written in letters I understood. ka da shehan It's a Kardashian <laughs> joke. You get it?
1: Uh, huh. Curiously enough, they seem to have been chiseled badly out of proportion with their scenic background, for one of the creatures was shown in the act of killing a whale represented as but little larger than himself i remarked as i say their grotesqueness and strange size but in a moment decided that they were merely the imaginary gods of some primitive fishing or seafaring tribe some tribe whose last descendant had perished eras before the first ancestor of the piltdown or neanderthal man was born
0: okay well piltdown man was a lie so yeah
1: maybe he wasn't when it was written dude
0: I'm just saying!
1: Awestruck at this unexpected glimpse into a past beyond the conception of the most daring anthropologist, I stood musing whilst the moon cast queer reflections on the silent channel before me. Then suddenly I saw it. With only a slight churning to mark its rise to the surface, the thing slid into view above the dark waters. Vast, polyphemus-like, and loathsome, it darted like a stupendous monster of nightmares to the monolith about which it flung its gigantic scaly arms, the while it bowed its hideous head and gave vent to certain measured sounds.
0: Your mother... I ain't never gonna touch this guy. Son of a bitch!
1: <laughs> I think I went mad then.
0: Don't mind if I do!
1: Of my frantic ascent of the slope and cliff, and of my delirious journey back to the stranded boat, I remember little. I believe I sang a great deal and laughed oddly when I was unable to sing. I have indistinct recollections of a great storm some time after I reached the boat. At any rate, I know that I heard peals of thunder and other tones which nature utters only in her wildest moods. When I came out of the shadows, I was in a San Francisco hospital, brought thither by the captain of an American ship which had picked up my boat in mid-ocean. In my delirium, I had said much, but found that my words had been given scant attention. Of any land upheaval in the Pacific, my rescuers knew nothing nor did I deem it necessary to insist upon a thing which I knew they could not believe. Once I sought out a celebrated ethnologist and amused him with peculiar questions regarding the ancient Philistine legend of Dagon, the fish god. But soon perceiving that he was hopelessly conventional, I did not press my inquiries.
0: Oh, there's nothing more dreary than someone hopelessly conventional. Have you no unique (laughs) idea?
1: It is at night, especially when the moon is gibbous and waning, that I see the thing. I tried morphine, but the drug has given only transient surcease and has drawn me into its clutches as a hopeless slave. So now I am to end it all, having written a full account for the information or the contemptuous amusement of my fellow men. Often I ask myself if it could not all have been a pure phantasm, a mere freak of fever as I lay sun-stricken and raving in the open boat after my escape from the German Man-of-War. This I ask myself, but ever does there come before me a hideously vivid vision in reply. I cannot think of the deep sea without shuddering at the nameless things that may at this very moment be crawling and floundering on its slimy bed, worshipping their ancient stone idols and carving their own detestable likenesses on submarine obelisks of water-soaked granite. I dream of a day when they may rise above the billows to drag down in their reeking talons the remnants of puny, war-exhausted mankind, of a day when the land shall sink and the dark ocean floor shall ascend amidst universal pandemonium. The end is near. I hear a noise at the door, as of some immense, slippery body lumbering against it. It shall not find me. God, that hand! The window,
0: the window. What is the, what is the Disney? The that... there's Dagon for you. That's Dagon, or its uh, original title. Why I'm hooked on Morphe. <laughs> this, this whole story is just to explain. <laughs> hey, man, there's a reason I liked riding the dragon so much. <laughs> Yeah, I dug it. I was into it. I thought it was a cool story. I'm not going to say cool story, bro. I won't do it because I respect this guy. <laughs> Jesus.
1: All of this sounds fake. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: sounds, it sounds, does it sound insincere? That is a problem I struggle with and I have my whole life. I say things and I mean them, but they sound like I'm full of <laughs> shit. Like, wow. That, no, and I'll say things like that really is a cool coat. And people are like what's wrong with my coat no <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's become a an ever growing problem for me actually like i i used to be uh very sincere about stuff and and people could tell it now i'm i'm like you i'm like man i, I just come across as insincere but i'm not like
0: it's probably your association with me i'm probably damning us both with my horse Oh, oh sh- right yeah? oh oh con well uh yeah, let's let's keep this train rolling. Yeah. then. how uh, about how about I damn you with my lack of literacy now?
1: <laughs> Again, don't forget, Lovecraft uh, purists. We have to put our our flavor
0: into this. We oh, have to no, our know, giblets. no, no, you know. Let me handle this one, Flora. Dear Lovecraft purists, go f- yourselves. There is no shortage of brilliant, excellent, wonderfully done. H.P. Lovecraft podcast. Uh, for example, the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Also, The People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Excellent sources for level-headed H.P. Lovecraft stories and discussion. But you're listening to Blurry Photos. So, no. You're not gonna get level- right. You're, Yeah, right. We, we are two Tina Turners singing our own version to Proud Mary. And bad news, assholes, We don't do anything nice and easy. Also, Flora hits me. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Also, we're in short shorts. All right, so... Ba- yeah. Dam, bam, <laughs> ba- dam, yeah, so ha- having said that, now if anyone's wondering... Oh, why aren't yet? Yeah, so there it is. If you want it serious, there are so many places for you to go.
1: That's right. One of which is audibletrial.com slash buryphotos. <laughs> yeah well played. Get the audio book of someone reading reading this straight on without the stupid accents and uh, uh, silly silly fart jokes. So,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, for the for the fart joke uh, version, though, carry on.
0: Yeah, but don't forget to f yourself too. <laughs> All right. What do you What do you got? <laughs> Can we get into one of those agree to disagree? Okay, but go f yourself. Agree uh, to disagree. Uh, right. But agree to disagree. But seriously. <laughs> okay. Uh, Up next, uh, how about Cool Air? Also by uh, Henrietta Pollyanna Lovecraft. You ask me to explain why I'm afraid of a draft of cool air, why I shiver more than others upon entering a cold room and seem nauseated and repelled when the chill of evening creeps through the heat of a mild autumn day. There are those who say I respond to cold as others do a bad odor, And I am the last to deny the impression. What I will do is relate the most horrible circumstance I have ever encountered. And I'll leave it to you to judge whether or not this forms a suitable explanation of my peculiarity. I'm already feeling like there is a theme to these stories. I have this problem. But before you think I'm a weirdo, let me tell you an even weirder story. (laughs) That's right. Do what you will. Because this is definitely not going the same direction as the uh, Sons of the Pioneers' cool water. This is definitely a different kind of thing. It is a mistake to fancy that horror is associated inextricably with darkness, silence, and solitude. I found it in the glare of mid-afternoon, in the clangor of a metropolis, and in the teeming midst of a shabby and commonplace rooming house with a prosaic landlady and two stalwart men by my side. Okay, now this does sound like erotic fiction. (laughs) In the spring of 1923, I had secured some dreary and unprofitable magazine work in the city of New York. Erotic fan fiction. And being unable to pay any substantial rent, began drifting from one cheap boarding establishment to another in search of a room which might combine the qualities of decent cleanliness, endurable furnishings, and very reasonable price. Why do the furnishings need to be so durable? Lots of thumping. Yeah, like erotic fan fiction. All right. It soon developed that I had only a choice between different evils, but after a time I came upon a house in West 14th Street which disgusted me much less than the others I had sampled. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I only retched twice. (laughs) I can withhold most of my bile. I'll take it. (laughs) The place was a four-story mansion of brownstone, dating apparently from the late 40s, and fitted with woodwork and marble whose stained and sullied splendor argued a descent from high levels of tasteful opulence. In the rooms, large and lofty, and decorated with impossible paper and ridiculously ornate stucco cornices, (laughs) there there lingered a depressing mustiness and a hint of obscure cookery, but the floors were clean, and the linen tolerably (laughs) regular, and the hot water not too often cold or turned off, so that I came to regard it as at least a bearable place to hibernate till one might really live again. The landlady, a slatternly, almost bearded Spanish woman named Herrero, did not annoy me with gossip or with criticisms of the late burning electric light in my third-floor front-hall room, and my fellow lodgers were as quiet and uncommunicative as one might desire. Being mostly Spaniards, a little above the coarsest and rudest grade, only the din of streetcars in the thoroughfare below proved a serious annoyance. I had been there about three weeks when the first odd incident occurred. One evening at about eight, I heard a splattering on the floor and became suddenly aware that I had been smelling the pungent odor of ammonia for some time. Wait
1: a minute.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wait. You're oh, right. You're right. I'm smelling ammonia, and I just realized I've been Duh. smelling it for months. <laughs> I've been smelling you for months. <laughs> yeah. How does a of all the odors that sneaks up on you? Wait, That's cat piss. <laughs> Uh, looking about, I saw that the ceiling was wet and dripping, the soaking apparently proceeding from a corner on the side towards the street. Anxious to stop the matter at its source, I hastened to the basement to tell the landlady, and was assured by her that the trouble would quickly be set right. Dr.
1: Munoz!
0: She cried as she rushed upstairs ahead of me.
1: He has spilled his chemicals. He is too sick to doctor himself. Seeker and seeker all the time. But he will not have no other for help. He is very queer in his sickness. All day he takes funny smelling baths. He cannot get excited or warm. All his own housework he do. His little room are full of bottles of medicine. And he do not work as doctor. But he was great once. My father in Barcelona have hear of him and only just now he fix an arm of the plumber that got heart of sudden. He never go out, only on roof. And my boy Esteban, he bring him his food and laundry and medicine and chemicals. My God, it's not ammonia that the
0: man used for keeping him cool. <laughs> Holy sht, Mrs. Herrero. I'd like, uh, if you have never read this story before, it's important that you know that this is all written phonetically. Flora had very little work to do to reproduce this. Uh, uh, our buddy, Mr. Lovecraft, actually wrote all that out in phonetic Spanish right. accent.
1: <laughs> the Barcelona was provided by me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, 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 pro- that's professionalism. That's what we bring. That was awesome. All right, moving on. Mrs. Herrero disappeared up the staircase to the fourth floor, and I returned to my room. The ammonia ceased to drip, and as I cleaned up what had spilled and opened the window for air, I heard the landlady's heavy footsteps above me. Dr. Munoz I had never heard, save for certain sounds as some uh, gasoline-driven mechanism, since his step was soft and gentle. I wondered for a moment what the strange affliction of this man might be and whether his obstinate refusal of outside aid were not the result of a rather baseless eccentricity. (laughs) There is, I reflected tritely, an infinite deal of pathos in the state of an imminent person who has come down in the world. I might never have known Dr. Munoz had it not been for the heart attack that suddenly seized me one afternoon as I sat writing in my room. Physicians had told me of the danger of those spells, and I knew there was no time to be lost, so, remembering what the landlady had said about the invalid's help of the un- of the injured workman, I dragged myself upstairs and knocked feebly at the door above mine. My knock was answered in good English by a curious voice some distance to the right, asking my name and business. And, these things being stated, there came an opening of the door next to the one I had sought. A rush of cool air greeted me, and though the day was one of the hottest of late June, I shivered as I crossed the threshold into an apartment whose rich and tasteful decoration surprised me in this nest of squalor and seediness. A folding couch now filled the diurnal roll of sofa, and the mahogany furniture, sumptuous hangings, mm. old paintings, and mellow bookshelves. Mm, the oh, hangings. these bookshelves, man. I couldn't possibly these take bookshelves one and... more hanging. Mm. Oh, no, they're sumptuous. so sumptuous and these bookshelves man they're so mellow none of these books are hassling me man i really enjoy that right now i don't think i could take it if these books got up in my face what a melange of furniture (laughs) all bespoke a gentleman's study rather than a boarding house bedroom I now saw that the hall of the room above mine, the Lido Room (laughs) of bottles and machines, which Mrs. Herrero had mentioned, was merely the laboratory of the doctor, and his main living quarters lay in the spacious adjoining room whose convenient alcoves and large, contiguous bathroom permitted him to hide all dressers and obtrusive utilitarian devices. Beautiful. Sounds lovely. Dr. Munoz most certainly was a man of birth, cultivation, and discrimination. Despite the troublesome Enye in his last name, Matilde. Yeah, uh, the figure before me was short but exquisitely proportioned and clad in somewhat formal dress of perfect cut and fit. A high-bred face of masterful though not arrogant expression was adorned by a short iron-gray full beard, and an old-fashioned pince-nez shielded the full dark eyes and surmounted an aquiline nose, which gave him a Moorish touch to a physiognomy otherwise dominantly. Jesus, f*** you. Celtiberian? Celtiberian? I gotta
1: say, man, that sentence was the most expensive sentence I think you've ever said in your life.
0: I think so, too. Jesus. Yeah. Plus plus three bonus spins of the word wheel. All right. Okay. Uh, To a physiognomy otherwise dominantly Celtiberian. Thick, well-trimmed hair that argued the punctual calls of a barber was parted gracefully above a high forehead, and the whole picture was one of striking intelligence and superior blood and breeding. Jesus, dude, you're living in a flop house. Give it up. Nevertheless, as I saw Dr. Munoz in that blast of cool air, I felt a repugnance which nothing in his aspect could justify. Only his lividly inclined complexion and coldness of touch could have afforded a physical basis for this feeling, and even these things should have been excusable considering the man's known invalidism. It might, too, have been the singular cold that alienated me, for such chilliness was abnormal on so hot a day, and the abnormal always excites aversion, distrust, and fear. But repugnance was soon forgotten in admiration, for the strange physician's extreme skill at once became manifest despite the ice coldness and shakiness of his bloodless looking hands. Keep in mind, all the while this guy is crafting this exquisite description of the doctor, he's having <laughs> yeah. a fing heart attack. <laughs> he clearly understood my needs at a glance and ministered to them with a master's deafness. Erotic fanfiction and while reassuring me in a finely modulated, though oddly hollow and timberless voice, that he was the bitterest of sworn enemies to death, and had sunk his fortune and lost all his friends in a lifetime of bizarre experiment devoted to its bafflement and extirpation. Yeah. Something of the benevolent fanatic seemed to reside in him, and he rambled on almost garrulously as he sounded my chest and mixed a suitable draft of drugs fetched from the smaller laboratory room. Evidently he found the society of a well-born man a rare novelty in this dingy environment, and was moved to unaccustomed speech as memories of better days surged over him. Dude, you're just another schlub, but looking for free health care. This is why I gotta vote out Obama. (laughs) His voice, if queer, was at least soothing, and I could not even perceive that he breathed as the fluent sentences rolled urbanely out. He sought to distract my mind from my own seizure by speaking of his theories and experiments. And I remember his tactfully consoling me about my weak heart by insisting that will and consciousness are stronger than organic life itself, so that a bodily frame be but originally healthy and carefully preserved, it may, through a scientific enhancement of these qualities, retain a kind of nervous animation despite the most serious impairments, defects, or even absences in the battery of specific organs. Especially the
1: heart. You don't need no heart. Look like at that girl back in Barcelona.
0: Barcelona. She still has mi corazón. Sí, si, papi. Si. He might. He half jestingly said, "Someday teach me to live, or at least to possess some kind of conscious existence without any heart at all." For his part, he was afflicted with a complication of maladies requiring a very exact regimen, which con- which included constant cold. Any marked rise in temperature might, if prolonged, affect him fatally. And the frigidity of his habitation, some 55 or 56 degrees Fahrenheit, was maintained by an absorption system of ammonia cooling, the gasoline engine of whose pumps I had often heard in my own room below. Relieved of my seizure in a marvelously short while, I left the shivery place a disciple and devotee of the gifted recluse. After that, I paid him frequent overcoated calls. Listened while he told me of secret researches and among ghastly results, and trembling a bit when I examined the unconventional and astonishingly ancient volumes on his shelves. I was eventually, I may add, almost cured of my disease for all time by his skillful ministrations. It seemed that he did not scorn the incantations of the medievalists since, he believed, these cryptic formulae to contain rare psychological stimuli which might conceivably have singular effects on the substance of a nervous system from which organic pulsations had fled. I was touched by his account of the aged Dr. Torres of Valencia, who had shared his earlier experiments with him through the great illness of 18 years before, whence his present disorders proceeded. No sooner had the venerable practitioner saved his colleague than he himself succumbed to the grim enemy he had fought. Perhaps the strain had been too great for Dr. Munoz had make it, made it whisperingly clear, though not in detail, that the methods of healing had been most extraordinary, involving scenes and processes not welcomed by the elderly or conservative Galens. You know what? There's actually a kind of cool thing happening right here. What's that? This is a, this is a reference to the, uh, the, uh, the 1918 flu epidemic. Oh, yeah. And, and you'll notice this. This is a, a weird thing that happened in, in American society. It was so horrific that no one talked about um, even in this book where he's he it's a very very a roundabout sort of acknowledgement without ever saying what was happening and you find this in history textbooks in a lot it's actually very difficult to get a lot of good research from the time because people were so adverse to speaking about it so
1: yeah yeah the old that's kind
0: Spanish of Spanish blue yep so that's kind of cool all right moving on As the weeks passed, I observed with regret that my new friend was indeed slowly but unmistakably losing his ground physically, as Mrs. Herrero had suggested. The livid aspect of his countenance was intensified, his voice became more hollow and indistinct, his muscular motions were less perfectly coordinated, and his mind and will displayed less resilience and initiative. Of this sad change he seemed by no means unaware and little by little his expression and conversation both took on a gruesome irony which restored in me something of the subtle repulsion I had originally felt. He developed strange caprices, acquiring a fondness for exotic spices and Egyptian incense, till his room smelled like the vault of a sepulchred pharaoh in the Valley of Kings. And he was fabulous! (laughs) Fabulous! At the, time, at the same time, his demand for cold air increased, and with my aid, he amplified the ammonia piping as a room and modified the pumps and feet of his refrigerating machine till he could keep the temperature as low as 34 degrees or 40 degrees, and finally even 28 degrees. The bathroom and laboratory, of course, being less chilled in order that the water might not freeze, and that chemical processes might not be impeded. The tenant adjoining him complained of the icy air from around the connecting door, so I helped him fit heavy hangings to obviate the difficulty. A kind of growing horror of ultra and morbid cast seemed to possess him. He talked of death incessantly, but laughed hollowly when such things as burial or funeral arrangements were gently suggested. All in all, he became a disconcerting and even gruesome companion. Yet in my gratitude for his healing, I could not well abandon him to the strangers around him and was careful to dust his room and attend to his needs each day, muffled in a heavy ulster which I had bought especially for the purpose. I likewise did much of his shopping and gasped in bafflement at some of the chemicals he ordered from druggists and laboratory supply houses. Uh, An increasing and unexplained atmosphere of panic seemed to rise around his apartment. Yeah, totally unexplained. Where is this atmosphere of panic coming from? (laughs) Hmm. The whole house, as I have said, had a musty odor, but the smell in his room was worse, and in spite of all the spices and incense and pungent chemicals of the now incessant baths which he insisted on taking unaided.
1: (laughs) I tried to to help him take a bath. I really did. (laughs) I
0: really wanted to get in there, but he was all prudish about it. I perceived that it must be connected with his ailment and shuddered when I reflected on what his ailment might be. Mrs. Hararo crossed herself when she looked at him and (laughs) and gave him unreservedly to me not even letting her son Esteban continue to run errands for him. When I suggested other physicians, the sufferer would fly into as much of a rage as he seemed to dare to entertain. He evidently feared the physical effect of violent emotion, yet his will and driving force waxed rather than waned, and he refused to be confined to his bed. The lassitude of his earlier ill days gave place to a return of his fiery purpose, so that he seemed to about to hurl defiance at the death demon, even as that ancient enemy seized him. The pretense of eating, always curiously like a formality with him, he virtually abandoned, and mental power alone appeared to keep him from total collapse. He acquired a habit of writing long documents of some sort, which he carefully sealed and filed with injunctions that I transmit them after his death to certain persons whom he named, for the most part lettered East Indians, but including a once-celebrated French physician now generally thought dead, and about whom the most inconceivable things had been whispered. As it happened, I burned all these papers undelivered and unopened. What a dick! Wow. His aspect and voice became utterly frightful and his presence almost unbearable. One September day, an unexpected glimpse of him induced an epileptic fit in a man who had come to repair his electric desk lamp, a fit for which he prescribed effectively whilst keeping him well out of sight. That man, oddly enough, had been through the terrors of the Great War without having incurred any fright so thorough. Then, in the middle of October, the horror of horrors came with stupefying suddenness. One night, about eleven, the pump of the refrigerating machine broke down, so that within three hours the process of ammonia cooling became impossible. Dr. Munoz had summoned me by thumping on the floor, and I worked desperately to repair the injury while my host cursed in a tone whose lifeless, rattling hollowness surpassed description. My amateur efforts, however, proved no use and when I had brought in a mechanic from a neighboring all-night garage, we learned that nothing could be done till morning, when a new piston would have to be obtained. The moribund hermit's rage and fear, swelling to grotesque proportions, seemed likely to shatter what remained of his failing physique, and once a spasm caused him to clap his hands to his eyes and rush into the bathroom. He groped his way out with face tightly bandaged, and I never saw his eyes again, till I slipped on them on my way out. The frigidity of the apartment was now sensibly diminished, and at about 5 a.m., the doctor retired to the bathroom, commanding me to keep him supplied with all the ice get- I could obtain at all-night drugstores and cafeterias. As I, retur- as I would return from my sometimes discouraging trips and lay my spoils before the closed bathroom door, I could hear a restless splashing within, and a thick voice croaking out the order for... More. No! At length, a warm day broke, and the shops opened one by one. I asked Esteban either to help me with the ice fetching whilst I obtained the pump piston, or to order the piston while I continued with the ice. Jesus, Esteban, pick one! I don't care which one! But, instructed by his mother, he absolutely refused. Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. Finally, I hired a seedy-looking loafer whom I had encountered on the corner of 8th Avenue to keep the patient supplied with ice from a little shop where I introduced him and applied myself diligently to the task of finding a pump piston and engaging workmen competent to install it. The task seemed interminable, and I raged almost as violently as the hermit when I saw the hours slipping by in a breathless, foodless round of vain telephoning and a hectic quest from place to place, hither and thither by subway and surface car. About noon I encountered a suitable supply house far downtown, and at approximately 1.30pm arrived at my boarding place with the necessary paraphernalia and two sturdy and intelligent mechanics. I had done all I could, and hoped I was in time. Black terror, however, had preceded me. The house was in utter turmoil, and above the chatter of odd voices I heard a man praying in in a deep basso. Fiendish things were in the air, and lodgers told over the beads of their rosaries as they caught the odor from beneath the doctor's closed door. The lounger I had hired, it seems, had fled screaming and mad-eyed not long after his second delivery of ice, perhaps as a result of excessive curiosity. He could not, of course, have locked the door behind him, yet it was now fastened, presumably from the inside. There was no sound within, save a nameless sort of slow, thick dripping. Briefly consulting with Mrs. Herrero and the workman, despite a fear that gnawed my inmost soul, I advised the breaking down of the door, but the landlady found a way to turn the key from the outside with some wire device. We had pre- (laughs) Oh, Mrs. Herrero, you know all the tricks. (laughs) Si, si. We had previously opened the doors of all the other rooms on that hall and flung all the windows to the very top. Now, noses protected by handkerchiefs, we tremblingly invaded the accused south room which blazed with the warm sun of early afternoon. A kind of dark, slimy trail led from the open bathroom door to the hall door and thence to the desk where a terrible little pool had accumulated. Something was scrawled there in pencil in an awful, blind hand on a piece of paper hideously smeared as though by the very claws that traced the hurried last words. Then the trail led to the couch and ended unutterably. What was or had been on the couch I cannot dare say here, but this is what I shiveringly puzzled out on the stickily smeared paper before I drew a match and burned it to a crisp. Why does he have to burn everything? What is it with burn and everything, Pyro? He he hates these books! Uh, What I puzzled out in terror is the landlady and two mechanics rushed frantically from that hellish place to babble their incoherent stories to the nearest police station. The nauseous words seemed well-nigh incredible in that yellow sunlight, with the clatter of cars and motor trucks ascending clamorously from crowded 14th Street. Yet I confess that I believed them then. Whether I believe them now, I honestly do not know. There are things about which it is better not to speculate, and all I can say is that I hate the smell of ammonia and grow faint at a draft of unusually cool air. The end, ran that noisome scrawl, is here. No more ice. The man looked and ran away warmer every minute, and the tissues can't last. I fancy you know what I said about the will and the nerves and the preserved body after the organs ceased to work. It was good theory, but couldn't keep up indefinitely. There was a gradual deterioration I had not foreseen. Dr. Torres knew, but the shock had killed him. He couldn't stand what he had to do. He had to get me in a strange, dark place when when he minded my letter and nursed me back. All the organs would never work again. It had to be done my way. Artificial preservation for UCI died that time 18 years ago. Boom, bump, bump, bump.
1: Nobody guessed that ever in a million years?: Yeah. yeah
0: I think, I think we were I mean, I don't know. Maybe back then people were like, "o!
1: Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's got a good climb.
0: Yeah, no, I liked it, which it's also a little bit scary because I, how cold I like to keep it in my apartment. Maybe I died 18 years ago.
1: Hmm. Maybe one day uh, I won't hear from you, and I'll come knocking on the door, and there'll just be a. Oh yeah. Th- th- th-
0: oh yeah. <laughs> I'll just be like some pile of goo in the on the on the sofa. But then we should rename it because I mean I'm pretty sure it would be the only podcast with a living corpse. Oh yeah. Well, welcome to the welcome to the jokesy buffoonery corpse cast. That corpse cast.
1: Noise. Hi. Noise.
0: Noise. 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 I, I I like that. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, a little different flavor from him.
0: Yeah, all day I face the barren waste without my internal organs, cool organs, organs. <laughs> yeah, nobody. Songs of the Sons, Sons of the Pioneers, Cool Water. It's a jam. Shut up, man. Moving on.
1: You know so many songs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here comes Dave Stecko. Do you know that he knows songs? <laughs> it's true. So what what do
1: we got uh, next on the old agenda?
0: Oh, well, how about uh an old friend of ours that we've mentioned many a time and mispronounced it probably endlessly, because who knows how it's oh. supposed to be done, right? Actually the answer is Ken Height. Ken Height knows how. Uh Nirlotha Tep. <sighs> By Harry Potter Lovecraft. Oh, guess.
1: Can't wait. Can't wait.
0: Just go, I can't wait. Nirlathotep, <laughs> the crawling chaos. I am the last. I will tell the audience, boy. Dennis! Dennis, have you done the dishes yet? Shut up, Mom! I'm the crawling void! Shut up! Don't tell your mother to shut up, Dennis! <laughs> Do the dishes! <laughs> Jeez, now I gotta start over. (laughs) (laughs) I do not recall distinctly when it began, but it was months ago. Okay, so just know that. (laughs) The general tension was horrible. To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger, a danger widespread and all-embracing. Such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the light. Is this good talking about the Trump elections? Yes. Okay. Okay. Aswata. Aswata. Okay. Okay. I recalled that the people went about with pale and worried faces and whispered warnings and prophecies which no one dared consciously repeat or acknowledge to himself that he had heard. A sense of monstrous guilt was upon the land, and out of the abyss between the stars swept chill currents that made men shiver in dark and lonely places. (laughs) (laughs) There was a demonic alteration in the sequence of the seasons. The autumn heat lingered fearsomely, and everyone felt that the world and perhaps the universe had passed from the control of known gods or forces to that of gods or forces which were unknown. Everyone
1: felt that.
0: (laughs) Everyone I mean, I was over at the store, and I was like picking up a new uh, oil filter, and Stan Stan Jerzness was like, hey, you haven't got that feeling? And I was like, "Are you? if you tell me that we're passing from the control of gods known to us, unto unknown forces and or gods, then I owe you a coat. And Stan says, well, I hope you've got two bits, because... Boy, howdy, is that Coke going to taste sweet. I was just about to comment on a nameless sensation I had deep within my soul as regards control of this world and universe by gods known to us or perhaps some as yet grim other option. (laughs) Jesus. He's
1: rubbing off on you.
0: (laughs) Some as yet
1: grim other option.
0: (laughs) Uh, um, Here we go. And it was then that Nerlathotep came out of Egypt. Who he was, no one could tell, but he was of old native blood and he looked like a pharaoh. The Felahin knelt when they saw him, yet could not say why. He said he had risen up out of the blackness of 27 centuries, and they had heard messages from places not on this planet. Into the lands of civilization came Nyarlathotep, swarthy, slender, and sinister, always buying strange instruments of glass and metal and combining them into instruments yet stranger.
1: He was a crafter. <laughs>
0: he needed the mats. And a filthy musician. Well, you can't have my pristine raptor hide. Those were really hard to come by, bro. <laughs> he spoke much of the sciences, of electricity and psychology, and gave exhibitions of power which sent his spectators away speechless, yet which swelled his fame in exceeding magnitude. Men advised one another to see Nyarlathotep, and shuddered, Dude! You should see this guy! (laughs) (sighs) But go! Seriously, you guys will have fun! (sighs) Well, well, can you tell me anything about his act? I can say nothing of what I have seen! (laughs) And when Nyarlathotep went, Rest vanished. For the small hours were rent with screams of nightmare. Never before had the screams of nightmare been such a public problem. Extra, <laughs> extra, read all about it. Screams of Nightmare on the rise. What white white socks uh, busted for fixing the world series. <laughs> as though as though like there's a, a tiny little section of the weather page. It's like, well, you know, the dew point's up. Barometric pressure is good, and the screams of nightmare are on the rise, so you want to look out that in the next three to four days. Go to bed with those earplugs in, because the scream of nightmares will be present. Now the wise men almost wish they could forbid sleep in the small hours, that the shrieks of cities might less horribly disturb the pale, pitying moon as it glimmered on green waters gliding under bridges and old steeples crumbling against a sickly sky. Okay, this is why... The wise men are smart enough to keep their mouths shut. Guys, 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 guys. If, if I could have everyone just wake up at 3 a.m., we're really bothering the moon here. At, at, at which point the moon proudly and loudly dry fusses. Come on! I remember when Yerlofotep came to my city. The great, the old, the terrible city of unnumbered crimes.
1: Detroit.
0: <laughs> it is Detroit. My friend had told me of him, and of the impelling fascination and allurement of his revelations, and I burned with eagerness to explore his uttermost mysteries. Idiot. My friend had said they were horrible and impressive beyond my most fevered imaginings. What was thrown on a screen in the darkened room prophesied things none but Nirlathotep dared prophecy, and that in the sputter of his sparks there was taken from men that which had never been taken before, yet which showed only in the eyes. And I heard it hinted abroad that those who knew Nyarlathotep looked on sights which others saw not. It was in the hot autumn that I went through the night with the restless crowds to see Nyarlathotep, with the stifling night and up the endless stairs into the choking room. Okay, if there's a room called the choking room, don't go in. Just don't go in. <laughs> Run through it. <laughs> yeah. Now, if there's a room called the sipping room, or perhaps the back scratching room, or, um, or the tickling Room. Oh, that's too much fun. <laughs> and shadowed on a screen, I saw hooded forms amidst ruins and yellow evil faces peering from behind fallen monuments. And I saw the world battling against blackness and the waves of destruction from ultimate space, whirling, churning, struggling around the dimming, cooling sun. Then the sparks played amazingly around the heads of the spectators, and their hair stood up on end while shadows, more grotesque than I can tell, came out and squatted on the heads. Oh. Mm -hmm. And when I, who was colder and more scientific than the rest, mumbled a trembling protest about imposture and the static electricity, near Lothatep drave us all out, down the dizzy stairs into the damp. Didn't drive them out. drave them. Drave. We were draven. Mm Mm-hmm into the damp, hot, deserted midnight streets. I screamed aloud that I was not afraid, and that I could never be afraid. Another screamed with me for solace. We swear to one another that the city was exactly the same, and still alive. And when the electric lights began to fade, we cursed the company over and over again, and laughed at the queer faces we made. <laughs> Try this one on, if you I believe we felt something coming down from the greenish moon, for when we began to depend on its light, we drifted into curious involuntary formations and seemed to know our destinations, though we dared not think of them. Once we looked at the pavement and found the blocks loose and displaced by grass, with scarce a line of rusted metal to shoe where the tramways had run, and again we saw a tramcar, lone, windowless, dilapidated and almost on its side. When we gazed around the horizon, we could not find the third tower by the river, and noticed that the silhouette of the second tower was ragged at the top. Then we split up into narrow columns, each of which seemed drawn in a different direction. One disappeared in a narrow alley to the left, leaving only the echo of a shocking moan. Another filed down a weed-choked subway entrance, howling with a laughter that was mad. My own column was sucked toward the open country, and presently felt a chill which was not of the hot autumn, for as we stalked out into the dark moor, we beheld around us the hellish glitter moon of evil snows trackless, inexplicable snows swept asunder and in one direction only, where lay a gulf all the blacker for its glittering walls. The column seemed very thin indeed as it plodded dreamily into the gulf. I lingered behind, for the black rift in the green-litten snow was frightful, and thought I had heard the reverberations of a disquieting wail as my companions vanished. But my power to linger was slight, as if beckoned by those who had gone before. I half-floated between the titanic snowdrifts, quivering and afraid, into the sightless vortex of the unimaginable. The screamingly silent, dumbly delirious, only the gods were, we can tell. A sickened, sensitive shadow writhing in hands that were not hands, and word blindly past ghastly midnights of rotting creation. Corpses of dead worlds with sores that were cities, charnel winds that brushed the pallid stars and made them flicker low. Beyond the worlds, vague ghosts of monstrous things, half-seen columns of unsanctified temples that rest on nameless rocks beneath the space and reach up to dizzy vacua above spheres of light and darkness, and through this revolting graveyard of the universe, the muffled, maddening beating of drums and thin, monotonous whine of blasphemous flutes from which un- inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time, the detestable pounding and piping, whereunto dance slowly, awkwardly, and absurdly the gigantic, tenebrious, ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, mindless gargoyles whose soul is near the Tap. That got real word jazz in there. And then
1: he pulled off the Oculus Rift and said, Are you scared of me now? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then he f***ing straight up vanished. Boom! And then we all felt stupid. And that's when we realized all of our wallets were missing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Somehow I had hepatitis.
0: <laughs> oh, you got me again, you lathotep. But it was a hell of a show. Hell of a show. He's a great showman. You
1: guys should go see him. (laughs) (laughs) but seriously see this guy when he's in town (laughs) word jazz is right though that's um...
0: yeah that just got it just was like it was just like beating you over and over with with misery at the end.
1: It's gorgeous descriptions, you know, yeah. of, of, pain, of pain and misery and, and unfathomable hopelessness.
0: <laughs> I also like th- there's an implication that, like, it, it was just going to be another really interesting Narlathotep show, except for he had to open his mouth and be like, I think this is bullshit.
1: And he was like, yeah. oh, really? March
0: everyone out into the city and watch creation unravel. <laughs> you, you arrogant prick. What a mouthy asshole. <laughs> yeah, he really f- everybody with that one.
1: Thanks a lot, Charlie. <laughs> Yet another time your damn mouth
0: got us in trouble. Yeah, You're so f***ing smart, Charlie. Thanks for ruining the show again. What do we got to wrap us up there, Flurba?
1: I'm going to end, uh, end our Lovecraft fest on a, go- on a nice little fun one. Uh, this one is called The Statement of Randolph Carter.
0: By Hufflepuff Lovecraft?
1: By Hewitt Packard Lovecraft. Dude.
0: Oh, my mistake.
1: By Hank Picard Lovecraft.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I also hope that real big fans of Lovecraft um, or, or, you know, people that, that know a lot of the titles of his works were waiting with anticipation for every time we announced the, the title of the next story. And they're like, huh ah, ah, oh, that one.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I suspect I suspect that might be the case as well. But you know what? what's important is that we're reading stories by holly parton lovecraft
1: <laughs> holly parton. <laughs> that's
0: right well they couldn't all sing and uh one of the parton kids decided just to write terrifying tales <laughs> the one that moved to the west coast yeah the, the flat-chested one <laughs>
1: all right the statement of randolph carter I repeat to you, gentlemen, that your inquisition is fruitless.
0: SPANISH INQUISITION!
1: <laughs> ah, I did not
0: expect that. <laughs> yeah, few people do.
1: Detain me here forever, if you will. Confine or execute me if you must have a victim to propitiate the illusion you call justice. But I can say no more than I have already said. Everything that I can remember I have told with perfect candor. Nothing has been distorted or concealed. And if anything remains vague, it is only because of the dark cloud which has come over my mind. That cloud and the nebulous nature of the horrors which brought it upon me.
0: By the way, if anything, uh, if anything sounds like bullshit in this story, it's because the horrors were so great.
1: Again I say, I do not know what has become of Harley Warren. Though I think, almost hope, that he is in peaceful oblivion if there be anywhere so blessed a thing. It is true that I have for five years been his closest friend, and a partial sharer of his terrible researches into the unknown. I will not deny, though my memory is uncertain and indistinct, that this witness of yours may have seen us together, as he says, on the Gainesville Pike, walking toward Big Cypress Swamp.
0: Oh yeah, I saw y'all. I saw the two of you walking to Big Cypress Swamp. No, yeah. I said to myself, is, is that Harley Warren over there? That looks like Harley Warren. (laughs) Oh, yes, it is. And he winked at me. Oh, no, he didn't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Walking toward Big Cypress Swamp at half past eleven on that awful night, that we bore electric lanterns, spades, and a curious coil of wire with attached instruments, I will even affirm, for these things all played a part in that single hideous scene which remains burned into my shaken recollection, but of what followed, and of the reason I was found alone and dazed on the edge of the swamp next morning, I must insist that I know nothing, save what I have told you over and over again. You say to me that there is nothing in the swamp or near it which could form the setting of that frightful episode. I reply that I know nothing beyond what I saw. Vision or nightmare it may have been, vision or nightmare I fervently hope it was, Yet it is all that my mind retains of what took place in those shocking hours after we left the sight of men and why Harley Warren did not return he or his shade or some nameless thing i cannot describe alone can tell it's 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 a weird place to put a a, a, a little a little dash in there with ex, you know extra descriptions but i i i did it and i'm owning it
0: well if his if his grammar seems bizarre Then it's only because of the horror! Horrible things!
1: (laughs) As I have said before, the weird studies of Harley Warren were well known to me, and to some extent shared by me. Of his vast collection of strange, rare books on forbidden subjects, I have read all that were written in the languages of which I am master, but these are few as compared with those in languages I cannot understand. Most, I believe, are in Arabic, and the fiend inspired book which brought on the end, the book which he carried in his pocket out of the world, was written in characters whose like I never saw elsewhere. Warren would never tell me just what was in that book. As to the nature of our studies, must I say again that I no longer retain full comprehension? It seems to me rather merciful that I do not, for they were terrible studies, which I pursued more through reluctant fascination than through actual inclination. Warren always dominated me. Okay. And sometimes, I feared him. I remember how I shuddered at his facial expression on the night before the awful happening, when he talked so incessantly of his theory, why certain corpses never decay but rest firm and fat in their tombs for a thousand years. But I do not fear him now, for I suspect that he has known horrors beyond my kin. Now I fear for him. Once more I say that I have no clear idea of our object on that night. Certainly it had much to do with something in the book which Warren carried with him. That ancient book in undecipherable characters which had come to him from India a month before. But I swear I do not know what it was that we expected to find. Your witness says he saw us at half past eleven on the Gainesville Pike, headed for Big Cypress Swamp. This is probably true, but I have no distinct memory of it the picture seared into my soul is of one scene only, and the hour must have been long after midnight, for a waning crescent moon was high in the vaporous heavens. The place was an ancient cemetery, so ancient that I trembled at the manifold signs of immemorial years. It was in a deep, damp hollow, overgrown with rank grass, moss, and curious creeping weeds, and filled with a vague stench which my idle fancy associated with absurdly with rotting stone.
0: Stone doesn't rot, you
1: fool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you think my, uh, my knowledge of geology to be incorrect, that is only the terror of my tale.
1: <laughs> On every hand were the signs of neglect and decrepitude, and I seemed haunted by the notion that Warren and I were the first living creatures to invade a lethal silence of centuries. Over the valley's rim, a wan, waning crescent moon peered through the noisome vapors that seemed to emanate from unheard-of catacombs, and by its feeble, wavering beams I could distinguish a repellent array of antique slabs, urns, cenotaphs, and mausolean facades, all crumbling, moss-grown, and moisture-stained, and partly concealed by the gross luxuriance of the unhealthy vegetation.
0: By the way, our emo band, uh, our goth emo band, is Mausoleum Facade.
1: <laughs> Near Lothotep and the slabs, urns, and cenotaphs. <laughs>
0: yeah, where <are> my cenotaphs? <laughs> where
1: are my cenotaphs at? My first vivid impression of my own presence in this terrible necropolis concerns the act of pausing with Warren before a certain half-obliterated sepulcher. And of throwing down some burdens which we seem to have been carrying.
0: Did they just stop to like share some stuff? Like, hey, you're like, I know that my uncle, something happened, and I just, I, and and then Warren was like, "Shh, I know, it's okay, it's not your <laughs> fault." I just feel so much better. Thank you. Now back to the back to the graveyard.
1: Warren, when I was sixteen, I I cheated on my girlfriend. <laughs> I, I felt horrible and I kept it inside. Oh. Let's keep going in this graveyard. <laughs> I now observed that I had with me an electric lantern and two spades, whilst my companion was supplied with a similar lantern and a portable telephone outfit.
0: Was that like a, a trench coat with phones on it? or? It,
1: no, it was a little bitty suit. <laughs> no word was uttered, for the spot and the task seemed known to us and without delay we seized our spades and commenced to clear away the grass, weeds, and drifted earth from the flat, archaic mortuary. After uncovering the entire surface, which consisted of three immense granite slabs, we stepped back some distance to survey the charnel scene, and Warren appeared to make some mental calculations. Then he returned to the sepulcher, and using his spade as a lever sought to pry up the slab lying nearest to a stony ruin which may have been a monument in its day. He did not succeed, and motioned to me to come to his assistance.
0: Dry fuss! Damn it!
1: Finally, our combined strength loosened the stone, which we raised and tipped to one side. The removal of the slab revealed a black aperture, from which rushed an effluence of miasmal gases so nauseous that we started back in horror. After an interval, however, we approached the pit again and found the exultations less unbearable. Our lanterns disclosed the top of a flight of stone steps, dripping with some detestable ichor of the inner earth, and bordered by moist walls encrusted with niter. And now, for the first time, my memory records verbal discourse: Warren addressing me at length in his mellow tenor voice, a voice singularly unperturbed by our awesome surroundings.
0: <laughs> I mean, I understand that it's a slightly different use of the word awesome, but it's still... Dude! <laughs> so, wait, uh, uh, uh you need a mellow tenor voice for this, one? That's right. Okay. I'm sorry to have to ask you to stay... Mellower.
1: Mellower.
0: Oh. Sotto voce. Oh, mister. Sotto voce. Sotto voce. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to ask you to stay on the surface, he said, but it would be a crime to let anyone with your frail nerves go down there. You can't imagine, even from what you have read and from what I've told you, the things I shall have to see and do. It's fiendish work, Carter, and I doubt if any man without ironclad sensibilities could ever see it through and come up alive and sane. Damn it, Carter, you're a silly little bitch and I just can't have you (laughs) up my adventure. <laughs> I don't wish to offend you, even though I'm openly implying that you're not man enough to join me. And heaven knows I'd be glad enough to have you with me. But the responsibility is in a certain sense mine, and I couldn't drag a bundle of nerves like you down to probable death or madness. Carter, you old bundle of nerves. Carter, you you bawling crybaby. I just can't have that. I tell you. You can't imagine what the thing is really like, but I promise to keep you informed over the telephone of every move. You see, I have enough wire here to reach the center of the earth,
1: And look, little shoes for it, too. (laughs) For my my phone outfit. For my telephone outfit. (laughs) Isn't that just dandy? I can still hear, in memory, those coolly spoken words, and I can still remember my remonstrances. I seemed desperately anxious, to accompany my friend into those sepulchral depths, yet he proved inflexibly obdurate. At one time he threatened to abandon the expedition if I remained insistent, a threat which proved effective since he alone held the key to the thing. All this I can still remember, though I no longer know what manner of thing we sought. After he had secured my reluctant acquiescence in his design. Warren picked up the reel of wire and adjusted the instruments at his nod. I took one of the latter and seated myself upon an aged, discolored gravestone close by the newly uncovered aperture. Then he shook my hand, shouldered the coil of wire, and disappeared within that indescribable ossuary For a moment. I kept sight of the glow of his lantern and heard the rustle of the wire as he laid it down after him. But the glow soon disappeared abruptly as if a turn in the stone staircase had been encountered, and the sound died away almost as quickly. I was alone, yet bound to the unknown depths by those magic strands whose insulated surface lay green beneath the struggling beams of that waning crescent moon. In the lone silence of that hoary and deserted city of the dead, my mind conceived the most ghastly fantasies and illusions— and the grotesque shrines and monoliths seemed to assume a hideous personality, a half-sentience. Amorphous shadows seemed to lurk in the darker recesses of the weed-choked hollow and to flit as in some blasphemous ceremonial procession past the portals of the moldering tombs in the hillside. Used to be a hummock. (laughs) Shadows which could not have been cast by that pallid, Peering crescent moon, I constantly consulted my watch by the light of my electric lantern, and listened with feverish anxiety at the receiver of the telephone, but for more than a quarter of an hour heard nothing. Then a faint clicking came from the instrument, and I called down to my friend in a tense voice. Apprehensive as I was, I was nevertheless unprepared for the words which came up from that uncanny vault, in accents more alarmed and quivering, than any I had heard before from Harley Warren. He, who had so calmly left me a little while previously, now called from below in a shaky whisper, more portentous than the loudest shriek. God, if you could see what I am seeing. I could not answer. Speechless, I could only wait. Then came the frenzied tones again. This time my voice did not fail me, and I poured into the transmitter a flood of excited questions. Terrified, I continued to repeat, Warren, what is it? What is it? Once more came the voice of my friend, still hoarse with fear, and now apparently tinged with despair. I can't tell you, Carter. It's too utterly beyond thought, you giant city boy. I dare not tell you. No man could know it in live. Thank God, especially a half-man such as yourself. I never dreamed of this. Stillness again, save for my now incoherent torrent of shuddering inquiry. Then the voice of Warren in a pitch of wilder consternation. I heard, yet was able only to repeat my frantic questions and sob like a schoolchild. Around me were the tombs and the darkness and the shadows. Below me, some peril beyond the radius of the human imagination. But my friend was in greater danger than I, and through my fear, I felt a vague resentment that he should deem me capable of deserting him under such circumstances.
0: Really? You-, you couldn't believe that? That he didn't... Let let me have this moment, please.
1: (laughs) More clicking, and after a pause, a piteous cry from Warren. Beat it! For God's sake, put the slab back and beat it, Carter. Don't make me repeat it. Something in the boyish slang of my evidently stricken companion unleashed my faculties. I formed and shouted a resolution. Warren! Brace up! I'm coming down! But at this offer, the tone of my auditor changed to a scream of utter despair. Don't! You can't understand, it's too late! And my own fault! Put the slab back and run! There's nothing you or anyone can do now! The tone changed again, this time acquiring a softer quality, as of hopeless resignation. Yet it remained tense through anxiety for me.
0: Quick, before it's too late! What a change. What a horrible change. (laughs) Quick,
1: before it's too late. I tried not to heed him, tried to break through the paralysis which held me, and to fulfill my vow to rush down to his aid, but his next whisper found me still held inert in the chains of stark horror. A pause, more clicking, then the faint voice of Warren. Nearly over now. Don't make it harder. Cry, baby. Cover up those damned steps and run for your life with your arms swishing out to the sides like you do. You're losing time. So long, Carter. I won't have to see your pitiable face ever again. Here, Warren's whisper swelled into a cry. A cry that gradually rose to a shriek fraught with all the horror of the ages. Hellish things. Legions, my God Beat it Beat it Beat it I the phone. Beat it <laughs> After that was silence. I know not how many interminable aeons I sat stupefied. Whispering, muttering, calling, screaming into that telephone. Over and over again through those aeons I whispered and muttered, called, shouted, and screamed, Warren! Warren, answer me! Are you there? And then there came to me the crowning horror of all the unbelievable, unthinkable, almost unmentionable thing. I have said that aeons seemed to elapse after Warren shrieked forth his last despairing warning, and that only my own cries now broke the hideous silence. But after a while there was a further clicking in the receiver, and I strained my ears to listen. Again I called out, Warren, are you there? And in answer heard the thing which has brought this cloud over my mind. I do not try, gentlemen, to account for that thing. That voice, nor can I venture to describe it in detail since the first words took away my consciousness and created a mental blank which reaches to the time of my awakening in the hospital. Shall I say that the voice was deep, hollow, gelatinous, remote, unearthly, inhuman, disembodied? What shall I say? It was the end of my experience and is the end of my story. I heard it and knew no more. Heard it as I sat petrified in that unknown cemetery in the hollow, amidst the crumbling stones and the falling tombs, the rank vegetation and the miasmal vapors. Heard it well up from the innermost depths of that damnable open sepulcher as I watched amorphous, necrophagous shadows dance beneath an accursed, waning moon. And this... Is what it said
0: also you're a bitch <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey the statement uh-huh. of Randolph Carter
0: yes, the last will incisified statement of a coward man that's how that's how they do it.
1: That's how it rolls in un unmentioned townsville.
0: That's right. That's how Horsepower Lovecraft writes it.
1: <laughs> well, well, well. That's uh that's going to do it for our little bonus uh, yeah. uh literature capade. I hope you guys uh, liked
0: it. Uh, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I hope that was fun for you or at least somewhat entertaining.
0: Not 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 100% annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like not as bad as like say Randolph Carter. Yeah, that, guy's, no, that guy's the worst.
1: What? What a quivering mound of sissy jello!
0: <laughs> I like that. Well, we we'll be back next week with uh, with more of our regular programming. So I don't know. Maybe this was fun. I enjoyed doing it. So so remember yeah. remember what I was talking about earlier about everyone can go f- themselves. You know, just saying. <laughs> just recall that. <laughs> Recall that from that memory yeah
1: uh yeah i I like this, and uh now we chose some of the shorter ones, believe it or not, but there there are others uh that are eh, you know just a tad bit longer and very cool to read, maybe maybe we'll try that someday, I think we've mentioned before it's an idea to maybe include an an audible reading version of one of these stories or so as a as yeah. a prize or or level level reward or whatever they call the
0: things i really i really hope someone just went a prize a prize <laughs> you call it um, you okay. know and if and if you're if you're new to the podcast or newer um this is a perfect opportunity for you to jump back in time and listen to our glorious two-parter with ken height well-respected and published hp lovecraft scholar and author oh yes um so yeah, go go learn a little bit more about uh hunky Punk Lovecraft and uh also about his literature.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's the Cthulhu Mythos we did a two-parter on. And in uh, great times were had by all. Yes. Some people the style is not for them. I kind of I, I kind of hope that we could bring a little life to the style for for, you know, some some of the people who may not enjoy reading it straight up or what yeah, have you. you know
0: what I- I strongly suspect that, like, the people who, you know, are are lifelong fans of HP Lovecraft hear us say something like, bring a little life to it, and they're like, yeah, no, no, Thank you, thank you for improving upon the the <laughs> founder of modern horror and science fiction. Yeah, he really needed your help, you two dickbags.
1: <laughs> right, Re- really needed Randolph Carter to be such a <laughs> a whining cube of, of quivering excrement. In
0: the in the in the same, uh, but though by by the same uh, hand, they were also probably pretty impressed with your uh your your spot on um mrs herrero yeah mrs herrero they're like oh but that was that you nailed that one that was that was good one can hope
1: well thank you guys for uh coming yeah. on this journey with us don't forget uh as always if you haven't done so yet head on over to the facebook page and give us a like we've kind of stalled yes. out in our march towards the thildo.
0: which is insane because we made so much progress so quickly we're we're let's just let's just keep marching let's, we're yep. almost to the to the Nildo, and then finally we're closing in on the, the gloriousness of the fildo.
1: yeah yeah so so keep us marching on the path don't forget to follow us on Twitter blurry underscore photos don't forget to rate us and uh, uh review us on iTunes if, yes yes if you didn't like what we did here today, skip that part yeah
0: just skip it, just skip
1: it. As I mentioned before, audibletrial.com slash blurry photos. Don't forget that uh, piece, of, piece of work. Mm hmm.
0: That, that, hain- that hainty little ticket.
1: Other than that, as always, thanks to the Chicago Podcast Co op for keeping us going.
0: Yes, they are glorious. And as are the many podcasts you can find there,
1: such as MBSing with the host Mary Beth Smith. She cuts the BS out of conversation by discussing a topic. Her guest unabashedly loves, thus discovering why people love what we do and how that passion affects us. Blam, boom. Check it out. And uh, and other than that, though, we will come back with Bullstone, and that'll do it for this uh, little bonus Lovecraft fest. Yeah.
0: Yep. And a quick, quick, brief shout out to uh, iTunes reviewer Captain Jackass who wants us to know that he'd be the bacon in our sandwich, Flora. Oh, it's yeah, catching I saw on. That. that. It's was catching great. on. So <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thanks, Captain Jackass. And thanks, everyone who has uh, left us five-star reviews. Most recently, Snake Oil Salesman Pam. Oh, yeah. And Bad Hammer. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank and you. And Lee Van
0: Deave. Lee Van Deave is a particularly long-listening uh, fan of the podcast and a glorious human being. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you, guys. That's great. That's that's awesome. We're still battling that little half star. Man. Yeah, well,
0: you know what, though? Because if we had five stars, we'd get complacent.
1: Yeah, and people would think it would be fake. People are like, no, this is too good to be true.
0: Yeah, that half star is actually giving us a lot of street cred, so let's not (laughs) f*** with it.
1: All right, you guys. Well, for this bonus episode of Blurry Photos, I have been David, horny
0: pyromancer Flora. Nice. And I've been Dave. Go f*** yourself, Stecco. If recollection serves, <laughs> I believe
1: you all have something to do.
0: <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs>
1: all right. Go f*** your bye. <laughs>